Heavenly Father, this morning we've talked about service all the time, whether it's in children's story or music or singing this little light of mine. And so God, as we look at a story in the Bible today, may you challenge us, may you inspire us, may you move us towards serving others. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the last month or so, my heart has been hurting. In fact, I have shed a tear or two because of something that's been happening in my front yard. This is a picture of my house right here. You've seen it before. There it is. I screenshotted that puppy right off a of Google Maps Street View. Uh, the Terrico family, they drive by this literally every day. And uh, this is the look that I saw when I first saw our house, and I immediately fell in love with our house for one reason. No, it's not the red front door. What, it's not the lawn. It doesn't look like that now. What do, you, what do you guys think it is? Oh, you noticed them as well. They're beautiful. Look at those babies. Those tall oak trees. They're just gorgeous. Jen and I, we always wanted houses with big trees. That's what we told Sandra, our realtor. We said, hey, find us a house with big trees. So we had big trees. We bought the house last month. I drive into the driveway and I see my really nice neighbors, Dan and Tara, they're outside and they're talking with someone as they walk around the yard. And I think to myself, what is happening now? I walk across the yard over to Dan and Tara and this other gentleman and they say, oh, this is our godson. His name is, uh, I don't know, Robbie, I think is his name. He's a tree man. And a lump wells up in my throat. And they began to talk about the different trees. And the tree man, Robbie, he said, now this tree over here, this is definitely 40 or 50 years old. You can see that uh, water is gathering in the crotch where the limbs come together. You can see it kind of weeping over the side. It needs to come down. <laughs> they go to the next tree. He says, now this tree here, it's definitely 40 or 50 years old, the lifespan of an oak tree. And you can see, Matt, that it's leaning towards your house. Tell me, whose bedrooms are those on this side of your house? I said, that's, that's, that's my boy's room. He said, this, sir, this tree needs to come down. And I said, man, I got insurance. <laughs> Not for my kids, but for the house. <laughs> kids will be fine. <laughs> this tree needs to come down. By the end of the time there, four trees were on the list to get axed. A week later, the trucks pull up, limb by limb, branch by branch, trunk by trunk, four beautiful oak trees disappeared, and I've cried because I love trees. Trees have such an incredible impact. They're, I think they're the most understated part of landscape. They, they give shade, they give oxygen, they're places for squirrels to, to hide where you can snipe them out of the tree, or you don't do that, do you? It's okay, we know you do. Trees are wonderful, and when they're gone, you realize how much you miss them. They're gone now. I wish I could show you a picture of my house, but I didn't take one earlier this morning, and uh, my house is naked now. You can just see everything. No, no place for anybody to hide. And that backyard, it used to have shade in it, and now all I can think about is summer, and it's coming. And my backyard, which was a great place to play badminton and horseshoes and croquet, whatever, now it's going to be the face of the sun back there. It's going to be Death Valley in my backyard because there's no trees. The impact of trees is long-lasting. Now, Dan and Tara, my neighbors, they actually own an oak tree farm up in Georgia. And I'm excited that they're going to plant trees there again. But I'm not going to be there in 20 years when you can get a little shade from them. So I've been thinking about this family that will move in eventually after we move out at some point. 
I wonder if they'll have kids. I wonder if they'll get the shade that we really wanted. Trees have such an impact, and when they're gone, you really miss them. Today, we're looking at a story of the life of someone whose impact was long-lasting, and after she was gone, people really felt it. In fact, if you've got your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open them to Acts chapter 9. And if you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in front of you. It's the blue book, and you can follow along on page 778. You'll read the same words that I'm reading. And as you're turning there, I'll give you a little context. The church, the baby Christian church, is on fire. It's exploding. God is going gangbusters with the disciples, and the gospel is spreading like wildfire. Now, Peter, he is over in a town called Lydda, and as he's there, he runs into this guy who has been crippled for eight years. I think it's kind of funny that we were in Acts chapter 4 last week, and Peter ran into a guy that was crippled, or he was lame at the the temple gate. Now he's got another guy in in chapter 9. The guy's been crippled for eight years, and the same thing happens as it does last week, except he phrases it differently. Peter looks at this man who's begging, and he says, Jesus Christ has healed you. Pick up your mat and walk. And the man stands up and picks up his mat, and he goes on his merry way, and the whole town is amazed at this. In fact, the Bible says that that the town followed the Lord because of this. That's the power of testimony. There it is again. Now, just at the same time that this is happening, there's another story happening in a little town just uh, a little ways away in the town of Joppa. You've heard of the town of Joppa. If you've uh, read your Bible or if you were a kid and you heard Bible stories, you know Joppa because that's where Jonah goes to get on a ship to go to Tarshish. And so this is the place where the story happens today. I've been to Joppa. It's just a little fishing village on the side of the Sea of Galilee. Here is the story, Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 36. Here's what it says. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. We'll come back to this. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Let's pause there for a moment because there's a whole lot there. Let's first of all talk about Tabitha. My Bible says that her name was translated as, what was it? Dorcas. Are you kidding me? What was her mother thinking? Now, if there's a Dorcas here this morning, this is all jest. This next little bit, it's all just kidding. So, like, don't be offended by this. When I was a boy, and I would be in an argument with uh, my sister or just playing with the guys at recess, if there was ever a name-calling battle, you know, ooh, your breath stinks. Yeah? Well, you don't have any hair on your head. I got that one all the time. Well, you get to the ultimate, like, trump card of name-calling, you're a dork. This girl's name is Dork. Dorcas. I mean, she's not an Esther. She's not a Miriam. She's not a Mary. She's not an Elizabeth. She's Dorcas. That's what the Bible calls her. That's kind of a busted name. And although I'm completely kidding about that, it makes me think 
about how God used someone with a name that, in my mind, is kind of silly, and he used her in an incredibly powerful way, and it reminds me of people in churches today that have busted parts of their lives, too. I'm talking about broken pieces, parts that that are embarrassing, baggage that you carry, broken, busted parts of your lives, and yet God still will use you to glorify him even with the broken, busted parts of your lives. I'm talking about people that are you and I, that if people really knew what was happening on the inside, they wouldn't think twice about us. They wouldn't take us seriously. I mean, you know what it's like to walk down the street or walk down the aisle in church and you feel like everyone's looking at you like they know that you are a terrible husband or you're a terrible wife or you're addicted to alcohol or porn or that you are a foul-mouthed cursor or that you just are a terrible parent, or it's your fault that you got a divorce, and it feels like everyone looks at you like they know what's going on on the inside, and yet, even with the busted parts of life, God will still use you if you will be used by him. Dorcas, she was just like that. The Bible says that she showed mercy. She was the one that showed mercy. And she uh, has given her life to serving others. And uh, so she's there. She dies. Ten miles away, Peter is there at Lydda. The disciples say, come on, Peter, come help us out, man. You just, you just had a miracle with this guy. You can do it again for Dorcas. And so the, Peter comes, and he goes into the upper room where Dorcas is laying. Now, this is interesting. In Jerusalem or in big cities, if someone dies, you put them in the ground. That's just, that was kind of the rule of the day. But if you're in an outskirt city, like a, a suburb of Jerusalem or a, a smaller city from a larger city, then you could have some options. In fact, if someone died, you didn't have to put them in the ground instantly. You could wash them and people would put them in this upper room, this, this not attic, but just the, the upstairs bonus room above the garage. And they would leave them there for a couple days for a couple different reasons. They would think, man, maybe they're in a coma and maybe they'll come out because we don't want to bury them if they're still alive. Or they would say, maybe God wants to resurrect them, and so we'll, we'll leave them there for a few days. And so this is what they've done with Dorcas. She's up there on a table or maybe on a bed. Peter comes in the house, and the most uncomfortable scene in the Bible happens here. Uh, so Peter walks in. He goes upstairs, and as he walks into the room, one dude walking into the room, this, this gaggle of widows comes barreling at him. They mob Peter. They're weeping, and they're showing their clothes to him. I mean, this is so uncomfortable. I think it is. If I was Peter, it'd just be awkward. All these women around, look at these clothes. And I don't think they're saying like, ooh, do these jeans look good on me? How about this top? They're crying and weeping as they're saying, Peter, look. Look at what Dorcas made me. What's kind of neat is that the way that Luke records this, he uses two Greek words. Um, he uses the words ketonis and hematia, these two words that are meaning the outer clothes and the under clothes. Now, he might be referring to like a jacket and like a t-shirt, but I wonder if he's really referring to um, clothes on the outside and undergarments that you can't see. And if that's what he's really meaning, that tells you about the people that Dorcas was really helping and serving. People that can't even afford good underwear. Yet she would do it. She would do whatever it takes to serve somebody else because that's God's calling on her life. So you put yourself in this room. There's weeping. There's wailing. They're showing their clothes to him. Every, every piece. The, look at my top. Look at these pants. They, Dorcas made them for him. 
They're proud of the clothes that Dorcas made. When I was a little boy in fourth grade, my mom taught me something that I'll always have with me. She taught me how to sew. I mean, it, guys, if you're, if you're single, fellas, I don't care if you're 35 or, or older than that, if you need a good pickup line, pick up the sewing machine. I'm telling you. How do you think I got married? My mom taught me how to sew, and so she, uh, she said, what would you like to make, Matt? And I said, I want to make some shorts. That's what every guy wants, a good, nice pair of shorts. She said, let's go find some fabric. And so we went down to the, 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 uh, the local fabric store, and I picked out a beautiful pattern. Uh, I'll try to describe it for you. It's a cross between tiger print and lightning bolts, blue and orange mixed together. Do you see it? Per- you would choose the same thing. That's what a fourth grader would choose. We bring it home and we take the pattern and we lay it out and we cut all the pieces and we sew these shorts together. And my dad is the coolest dad ever because I, I said, Mom, I think we should make a pair for dad. <laughs> so we made a pair for dad and, and my dad's so cool. We'd, we'd go to the store wearing matching lightning bolt and tiger pants together. We would wear them to a Thursday night basketball at the, the gym. Let me just, don't, put, don't think about this too much, but let's just say those seams did not hold up under sports. In college, I took sewing to the next level. See, Christmas was coming. I was dating Jen. I think we might have been a year into dating. And uh, Christmas is coming. I'm trying to think, what can I get Jen that is sentimental and loving, that will just, you know, kind of reel her in a little more, you know? I said, I have an idea. We love to go on picnics. Sabbath afternoon, you get your food, your sandwiches together, and you go find a park somewhere, and you, you lay everything out. But there's one thing that's maybe more important than anything else, and that's to have a nice blanket that you can lay on. And so I thought, I could go get her one, or I could make her one. And so, I made her one. I even have it. Would you like to see it? <laughs> Look at this bad boy. Look at there. That's how you get a wife, fellas, right there. It still holds together. Can you believe that? Don't look too closely. It even has a, like a, a tough back on. Look at that thing. Look out, prayers and squares. I'm coming for you. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Every square that I cut, every seam that I stitched, every time I poked my finger with a pin trying to get it together, uh, picking out the pattern, the color, Every bit of this was made with love. <laughs> and I'll tell you this, I'm never making another one of those. <laughs> Forty hours of love went into that thing, and I'll tell you what, if I had to make another one, it would only be for someone that I love with all my heart. And these women that have surrounded Peter they're showing him their clothes because it's a visible representation of God's love put into the life of Dorcas, put into fabric that's made into clothes, and they are literally wearing the love of God. Dorcas' life really is described in one word, service. She lived for other people. It wasn't herself. She lived for anybody but her. In fact, the Bible says that she was the one who gave mercy she knew what people needed, and she took it as a personal calling to make someone's life better. 
She took the needs and hurts of others and did something about it. And it wasn't because she had to. It wasn't because she was obligated to. It wasn't because she was coerced to. It wasn't because she thought, well, if I don't do this now, I'm going to feel bad because I didn't do it later. She did it from a genuine heart that just had the love of Jesus in her that she couldn't help but share it with others. And isn't that what a life of a disciple is supposed to look like? The inpouring of God's love and the outpouring of his love to others as you serve them. That's what disciples look like. Jesus says, they will know that you're my disciples by your love. I mean, service is really the church put in action. It's the movement of the church. It's the church meeting people's needs, which cracks the door so that you can meet spiritual needs too. And while Dorcas, uh, while her life was gone, while she had finished breathing, the, the impact of her life continued on, except the story continues in verse 40. Here's what happens. Verse 40, Peter, surrounded by all these women, he sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. I mean, that's a story. I wonder if Peter, he's up in this room, I wonder if he just needed some peace and quiet, so he sends all the women away, and he goes and he kneels down at the bed. And I wonder what his prayer was like. Did he close his eyes? Did he speak out loud? Did he just pray in his head? Did he hold her hand as he prayed? I wonder what it was really like there. But I bet his prayer went something like this. God of heaven, the one who breathed breath and life into humans at the beginning, here is your servant Dorcas. And if it's your will to breathe life back into her body so that she can continue to serve, we ask that you do that right now. And as he says, Tabitha, get up, her eyes open, and Peter's eyes open even wider as he's just been a part of a miracle of God. And like at a wedding ceremony, he takes her by the hand and introduces her to everyone again. You know this woman? It's Tabitha. All the women run around and they hug her and they hold her. And the the Bible says that all over Joppa, many believed in the Lord because of this. Man! Serving others, sharing God's love, and people believe the God that you know. That's what the power of service looks like. When you serve others and meet their physical needs, it cracks the door like a wedge that opens it up so that people are open for the Holy Spirit to speak to them too. One of my all-time favorite quotes from any author, any book, any time, it's this quote. You know it well. It's in the Ministry of Healing, page 143. Ellen White, one of my favorite authors, she says this, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. She says, here's your method. The Savior, he mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs and he won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. I mean, that's the picture of what disciples do. You're with people, you show them love, you win their confidence, and then you introduce them to the Savior of the world. And they follow, not because of some beautiful message and oratory skill that you might have, but because you just showed God's love to them and they can't stay away from it because it's too powerful. Service is so powerful, it's the method of Jesus. It's hanging out with people and leading them to Jesus. 
In fact, what I love about this church is that service isn't just a value written on a website or a paper somewhere. It's at the heart of what we do. That's one thing that drew me to Forest Lake for sure. And I can prove it. In fact, over this last several weeks in this survey that many of you responded to, you said this about service. Here's what somebody says. We've got to love our community to become more consistently involved with community service, not just an occasional Sabbath. I asked you this question. If, if our church could be known for one thing, what would it be? Here's what you put. Listen to this. Serving those in need. Service to the homeless. Service in love and kindness. Service to the community demonstrating God's love. Service, parentheses, and our church does it really well. It always impressed me how amazing Pastor Jen and the church in general is when it comes to helping others, even if they are not members of our church. Amen. That's good. I asked you this question. What does the value of service look like? You said this. Service is letting our actions preach the gospel rather than words. You with me on that one? Serving our community every day, not just on Sabbath. Here's another one. This is the last one. Service is the core of what God has called us to. He's called us to love one another through service to one another and to God. Church, I believe that this is such a huge calling. In fact, I feel like this is the first step of so many on their journey of discipleship. If you can be others-centered and serving others, discipleship follows that right away. In fact, this last year in October, our church um, ha has to apply for evangelism funds. Um, I don't know if we've done that in a while, but we did it this year because it's free money. Why wouldn't you take free money? So we applied for it, and you have to, you have to tell the conference exactly what you're planning on, planning on doing. So this, this is money that we send to the conference in tithe, and it comes back to us in the form of evangelism funds. So one of those items on that list was Mission Insight. Um, several of you may know it. Dr. Martine, you probably know what this is too. Mission Insight is a, a company or an organization that takes about 19 different survey devices that have been used in all communities across the, uh, the uh, North America in every little community, and they compile these surveys into a database that you can search for whatever criteria you want. It's really cool. And so I personally like to see really close to our church, and so I, you can make a radius as, as big or small as you want, so I did a mile, but then I opened it up two miles and even three miles from our church, and you can see all the different parts, the demographics of who, who people are, uh, race, age, um, socioeconomic status, you see it all, but then there's a, a, a report called Mission or Ministry Insight, and it tells you what people are really feeling in their hearts. And as I, as I asked this database, hey, spit out these numbers for me, it came up with the top three concerns of people within three miles of our church. Would you like to hear them? Okay, half of you, that's good. Are you sleeping? You guys are back on Instagram, aren't you? I start, yeah, all right. Here are the top three concerns within three miles of our church. They're big. Ongoing impact of COVID social and political tension, racial injustice, top three. Those are overwhelming to me because I don't even know where to start to meet needs. So I, hope, I, I looked at the next three, here they are. Financing the future, health concerns and illness, that's beyond COVID, and fear of the future. Guys, I know what we can do with these. Worried about finances? We can do that. We can help educate. We can help. We can do lots of cool stuff. Health concerns and illness. We're already doing that. Sammy Gammy. He just had a diabetes thing going on here. It's continuing on. Fear of the future. I don't know the future, but I know the one who knows the future. 
I mean, there's so many good things that we can do here. There's so many different opportunities here. Or what about in our community? When I drive down 436, all along 436, at every stoplight, you turn on Wakiva Springs Road, you have homeless people everywhere. What do we do with that? How do you handle that? How, do, how, do, how as a church do we make an impact like Dorcas would? Um, do we make clothes? We could. Do we, do we bring in the shower trucks and offer showers? Do we give food? Those are band-aids, which are nice, and I just don't want it to be that we pat ourselves on the back and say, look what we did. Maybe we go next level and we, and we build relationships with them and, and help them on the next journey, next part of their journey. I don't know. There's just so many opportunities. Or what about this? What about this idea? What if for single parents in this area, in Apopka, men and women, they're trying to do their best, they're trying to get by, what if we had a free oil change for single parents? Okay? You got you car guys out there, just, you just perked up, didn't you? You got off your phone because you heard this. What if we had jacks and jack stands and ramps outside? What if we got advanced auto parts and AutoZone to donate oil for us and oil filters? What if, while the moms uh, drop the car off to get the oil change, we had them go to the upper, or the upper youth center or the children's ministry building, and they got a pedicure? What if we had bounce houses for the kids that they could come and play while we worked on their cars? Wouldn't this be cool? I got more ideas. You want to hear some more ideas? Somebody's hungry. I, I only heard like one yes over here. <laughs> I'll keep it quick. What if in our community, and I don't know how you'd find these people, but what if we offered a baby shower for parents that are really struggling? I don't know if that's single parents or whatever it is. We offered a baby shower and we said, you come here. We got diapers, we got car seats, we got whatever you need. We got gift cards too. But what if we went a step further and we said, we're going to build a relationship with you and we're going to walk with you through journeying with your kids. It's hard to be a parent, especially in your situation. What if we built friendships and invited them to supper and invited them into our homes? Are you with me? It's scary, isn't it? What if, and I've already heard that this is happening in this church, what if when a hurricane comes, and I've never been through a hurricane, so I'm kind of excited about it. <laughs> I mean, why are you guys scared? I don't even have trees at my house to fall on my house. We're good. What if we had a team ready to mobilize, chainsaws, axes, trailers, ready to go as soon as the hurricane comes and we're able to go to get trees off of people's houses and stuff? I think we've done that in the past. We should do it more. There are so many ways that we can be service to our community. In fact, not too long ago, I went to a, a local restaurant called Kiki's. That's your weekly restaurant plug of the day. There it is, Kiki's. I went with my friend Tim Clark. And we sat there and we started talking about mission and ministry and service. In fact, the waitress came. I think she had to come two or three times because we were so focused on talking about what God could do in this community that she, she's like, are you ready to order? Uh, no, no, we haven't looked at the menu yet. And it just, it just went on. And we, we sat there for an hour, maybe more, as we dreamed about what God could do here in Apopka. And I don't know what that looks like, but I'll tell you what Apopka looks like. Sometimes I think that we think that Apopka looks like Bear Lake. That's where our church is. It's right here. Beautiful homes. $80,000 boats sitting in the, in the, uh, the, the dock. Y'all, Apopka doesn't look like Bear Lake Apopka. That's a part of it. But have you ever been through South Apopka? What about homeless Apopka? What about middle Apopka? Apopka is so much bigger than Bear Lake Apopka. And as Tim and I talked there, he has this burden on his heart. How can we as the Forest Lake Church, with other churches in the area, Adventist and non-Adventist, how can we make an impact in a way that people know Jesus because they've been with us?
how can we serve them in a way that makes such an impact that they know Jesus? If I could look into the beyond of our church, it looks good. I see more and more service opportunities. If I could look into the beyond of the Forest Lake Church, it would be our church prioritizing serving others even over events and programs that we might have. If I could look into the beyond of the Forest Lake Church, it's having more and more intentional service Sabbaths rather than just once in a while because I believe God calls us to be others-centered, others-focused. The beyond looks really good, church. It looks good because I know that you and I get the opportunity to serve others. And as we do that, people will get to know Jesus because of us.